0: One of the things that we like to celebrate is marriages that last a really long time. It's kind of cool to see, isn't it, when somebody says they were married for 50 and 60 years. Think for just a second about Abraham. I don't know how old he was when he got married, but he probably celebrated his 60th wedding anniversary, don't you think? I mean, they might have celebrated their 25th or even their 40th before they had children. Think about that. She was 90 when she had kids. Maybe they celebrated, you know, it's just, just hard to fathom, isn't it? But they spent a lot of life together. They must have had an incredible relationship. You know, I, I, I've only been married 30 some years, and I can't even imagine that I had a life without Nancy in it. It must have been an incredible relationship they have. And some of you who have had that experience understand how these simple words at the beginning of today's passage must have been hard for Abraham. 23.1. Sarah lived 127 years, these were the years of the life of Sarah. And she died at Keriath Arba, that is Hebron. Can you imagine? Some of you can. Some of you are in that process of being alive when your mate has already passed on or, or going through some kind of grieving process after having an incredibly meaningful relationship with someone. But here is a a guy and a gal that, if they got married at the same age that I did, they they would have celebrated a hundred years of marriage. Think about that. That's a lot of years. They spent a lot of time together. And as we read on it, it says, And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and weep for her. You know, I've had a people that have lost a mate said, this is really hard and I can't seem to get over it very easily. And I said, that's okay. And they said, why is that okay? Because if you could get over it really easily, it didn't mean you had a very good relationship. You know, when you hear about a friend's friend who dies, we don't often feel that very deeply, do we? But when we lose people that we love, we feel it incredibly deeply. And Abraham, who maybe spent more than 100 years with Sarah, probably felt it really, really deeply. It must have been a hard day, a hard thing, to have the person that he loves so dearly pass on. And so he did something very interesting. He moved to uh, action, and Abraham rose from before his dead and said to the Hittites this, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Now this is really interesting because probably the tradition of his family had been that we have a family burial site you know i i I just talked to my parents before memorial day and they were doing the obligatory going to the cemeteries and it's just a really big deal for them they do it every year and they place memorial wreaths on on the mates that they lost in the in their their young adult life when they both had lost a mate and, and and grandparents' graves and 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 those people every year. That's a part of their journey. And Abraham is going through a transition in his life. He has this promise of God. Remember, in chapter twelve, it says, "Leave your people and their place and go to the place that I will tell you." So all of a sudden, he's not thinking about man. I need to get back to Haran, and I, I need to bury. Sarah there he's thinking Even though i'm a sojourner and an alien here. This is really why I want to bury my wife But see aliens and foreigners didn't have many rights just like here in the united states There are certain things that if you're an alien or if you're not from here You don't have the right to do and so he did the thing that he was supposed to do He went to the city gates and he pled with the people at the city gate. He said, I would like to buy a burial plot for my wife. And it was, it was a kind of a crazy request because they could have just easily said to Abraham, oh, pff, you're not even from here. You don't have any rights. You, 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 you're just going to have to figure this thing out on your own. There's no way we're going to give you land. They could have done that. But they didn't do that. In fact, here was their response to him. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Isn't that cool? They recognized that that Abraham had this God and he had this special relationship and other people saw it. You know, I'm out in the community and sometimes I'm in circles that you all are in. And I'm traveling with people that you all connect with probably a lot more often than i do and i will mention your names and you know what pleases me is most always when i mention your name you have a good reputation in our community that's a great thing you see they're recognizing who you are I might be talking to some contractor people, and I'll say, oh, I have contractors that go to my church, and I'll mention names, and they'll go, those are great people. Or, or, or I'll be at the hospital, and, and I'll mention, yeah, I know some people that were in the hospital. Oh, they're good people. Different places that I go, different ways, and different people that I see. I mention you guys. Abraham had a great reputation. Listen to what they said because he had such a great reputation and they recognized his relationship with the Lord. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Wow, that's cool. They're saying, move in with our dead. (laughs) You know? Now, their processes are very different. I experienced this when I went to Brazil. I'd never ever experienced this before. Uh, We were taken to this huge cemetery in Brazil, and they had like these grave plots, and on top of them they had built these structures. And they explained to me that they bury the dead a lot different over there. Basically, underneath these structures, which the family would create, and they they rented these, they didn't get to own the property, like, you know, we can buy our burial plots here. Inside these would be a crypt, okay? And the reason there was a crypt underneath there is because the water table and everything was so high. And so they built these cement things, and there were shelves, okay? Most of them had like four to six shelves in them. And when somebody passed away... They'd put their body on a shelf. Okay? And then over time, the family would have more than the four to six people that were dead. And so then they would take the shelf where the person was least there anymore. And they would take all of those bones that either they the guy said they'd do two things with them. Either they'd take them home. And I'm just like, really? You know, you know, <laughs> I don't want to open that closet up, you know. <laughs> Or they just gather them all and put them in a corner. And, and so there was this constant process. And so part of the reason that he's saying, I don't want to be buried with your people is because I don't want Sarah eventually to be taken off the shelf. You know? And replaced with someone else. And so he he said... Immediately to this, he said, Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, Okay, so this is really interesting, because you got to remember, this is more like an Asian culture. And so there's a humility that they had. So they all would have been sitting. And Abraham's having this discussion, and they're all at the same level. But he wants to show them honor. And so he stands, and he doesn't look them in the eye. And he, he doesn't do this pontificating like we would do. He humbly bows his head. And so you can hear him kind of talking into his own chest, and these are the words that he says. He says, If you are willing that I should buy, bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephraim the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns at the end of his field. Now this is really interesting because Abraham must have thought about this day because he knew exactly what he wanted. He knew exactly where he wanted this. And so he, he's doing this thing that's kind of interesting. We don't usually do this. In, if we want to have a discussion with Ephraim, we'd just go talk to Ephraim, right? But in their culture... To honor them, you talk to everybody, and hopefully Ephraim hears you, okay? Um, so that's what happens. For the full price, let, me give, let him give to me in your presence as a property for a burying place. And so he says, Hey, I, I, I appreciate that you want to give me a shelf, but I, I want a place. That's what I want. Well, Ephron happened to be there. Now, Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites and all who were in the gate of the city. Now, this is interesting because some people, some of the commentaries said this was just a polite process that he went through, okay? So that they're just kind of playing a game here. Other people thought that maybe Ephron was sincere because this is what Ephron says No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, I give you the cave that is in it, in the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you, bury your dead. And so basically Ephraim is saying, hey, you don't have to pay for the property, I'll just give it to you. Go ahead and bury your dead. But Abraham wouldn't have it. This is what Abraham said. Then Abraham bowed down before the people. And he said to Ephraim, in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I give the price of the field, accept it from me that I may bury my dead. You know, I think that there's a reason why this took place. Have you ever had somebody give you something with strings attached? Have you ever had that experience? Do you enjoy that? No. In fact, most of us will say this sometime after we've had that experience. I wish I would have just paid full price for it, right? Instead of dealing with the drama that I'm dealing with. Think about this. Do you think Abraham wants people in about 100 years to go, the family Ephraim, to go, well, we don't agree with what dad did, and we don't really like that Abraham and his descendants, so we rescind the deal. He didn't want to have that experience. He he you know, and I, I think there's a lesson in here, I've been thinking about this, is I think that some of us are always wanting to get the very best price, and sometimes we're wanting to get the very best deal, or sometimes even as a church, we're thinking that people should give us things. I think that there's value sometimes, more times than we realize. To not always look for the deal but to treat people with dignity and give them what they deserve. You know, I've even felt this for our business community, okay? Sit on the board of the business community. There is constantly another event or another thing coming to town, and they go, and let's get a hold of the business community so they can give us a discount and treat our people better. And in my mind, now that I've been involved a little longer, I want to go, how about if we just let them make some money? You know, they don't always have to give you a discount every time just because you have a cool idea. You know? Why do they always have to lessen taking care of their family so that your guests can have a cheaper experience? Interesting thought, isn't it? So here's Abraham responding. Ephraim answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver what is between you and me, bury your dead. So he gives him a price. Now, everybody that I read about this price, because I have no idea what 400 shekels of silver means. You know, Jesus Christ was betrayed for 40. This is a lot more. And basically, they think that Ephraim took advantage of Abraham. And he gave him a high price. But listen what Abraham did. And Abraham listened to Ephraim. And Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weights current among the merchants. You know, this is really interesting because Abraham knew what he was going to do when he went to the city gates. He was prepared. He didn't say, okay, I'll get back to you. He was passionate about this. I think part of the reason he was passionate about this is because he loved Sarah. There was no expense. When my grandpa Stevens died, he had run a tree nursery in the community for 40 years. And he had taken care of the funeral home and done all their landscaping for, genera- for decades. And when he died, they got the notice and they immediately went and found a casket and, sa- and showed it to my family and said, this one's for Mr. Stevens. And do you know what it had all around the edges, all the way around? Christmas trees. Abraham was prepared to take care of Sarah. Abraham knew exactly the piece of land he wanted. He probably had already weighed out how much he thought it would probably cost. And so the second Ephraim gave the price, Abraham gave the cash. Hmm. But there's a question we have to ask. So, the field of Ephron and Machph- and Machpelah which was on the east side of Mamre, the cave with with the cave was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout the, its whole land was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went into at the gate of the city. See, he he did it completely legally. He did it exactly how he did. He crossed all the dies. He, he took care. Of, he crossed all the T's. He took care of all the I's. He completely took care of this because of the person that he loved. But there is a question we need to ask: Why Machpelah? Why did he pick this piece of land? Why did he decide that this was the place that he wanted to bury? Sarah. Why? Because, you know, he was very specific when he went to the city. He didn't say, hey, does anybody have a piece of land? I'm looking for a place to bury my family. A cave would be nice. He didn't say that. He knew exactly what he wanted. Why? I'm going to give you three reasons why. First of all, this place had a connection to Abraham and Sarah's faith journey. Okay, let's go back to chapter 13. Chapter 13 is when him and Lot, remember him and Lot had, both had herds and everything and they needed to separate. And so all of a sudden, he, he went through the separation and after he went through the separation, God spoke to him and this is what the Lord said to him after they separated. He says, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I give to you and your offspring forever. He went on to say this, he says, I make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Remember that? Him saying that. And so he walked the land and he took on the command, and he was reminded of the thing that God had told him in chapter 12 was to go to this land. Now he was in this land, and God was reminding him of this process. And then in verse 18, it tells you that after he walked the land, where did he go to live? So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mary. <laughs> which was at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. You see, he lined up the burial plot for his family with the promises that God had made to him. He picked a place of significance. I will make this guess, it's a a biblical guess, that probably from where his tents were, he could have seen this field and knew the cave was there because of the time he spent there. And so he picked a place that connected to his faith journey. That's why he picked that. There's a second reason. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat the day at the day of his tent in the heat of the day. So if you remember in chapter 18, God and two angels came to them. Remember that? And they, they, and he was living in Mamre at the time, and God came there at that time. In verse ten, it tells us this, and the Lord says, "I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son." Wow. There's another reason why. This was a place of incredible significance in their faith journey, and he was setting up a memorial, a plot, to remember the epicenter of their faith experience. There's a second reason. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, where? In the land of Canaan. You see, I think he picked this land because he realized, you know, this is the land that God had promised to us. This land re- represents the place that God has promised to us. I want to bury my wife where our, our family's going to be for generations. I'm picking this location because God promised us this, so I, I need to start living on that promise. Remember the story I told years ago? It came out of that little 40 days of prayer book. It was about the farmers that got together and they were praying that God would bring rain. And what did one guy wear to that meeting? Can you remember? He wore waders. Why did he wear waders? Because he believed that God was going to bring the rain. The other guys all looked and said, what are you doing? He says, I I believe in the promise. I I came ready for the rain. Abraham was living out his faith by even the location that he chose to bury his dead, His beloved. The one that he cared so much for. They had seen God do incredible things. They were the oldest couple that ever had a child in the whole world. They'd been married for over a hundred years. God had kept His promise to them. He wanted to make sure she was buried in the location of the promise. I think the third thing that is important from this is its significance as an excessive investment in God's future promise. I found it really interesting that every single one of the commentaries said that they felt like he probably got ripped off and he paid too much money for it. I found that really interesting. But he didn't bat an eye. Did you notice that he didn't haggle? Now, when I was in the Middle East, when I went there in Jerusalem, I was told that if I went to the different vendors and I didn't haggle with them, that I was offending them. And Abraham was probably a shrewd businessman. He could have come, He gone, come, come on, Ephraim. I, I could buy the same plot of land for another guy for 200 shekels. This is too much money. He didn't do that at all. He was willing to pay the excessive price because he believed so strongly in the promise. This is what it says in the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Abraham knew he could not exhaust God's promise, so he made plans for the future. By buying the land for his dead, he was forced to realize that God's promises did not end with this life. You see, he was making an eternal investment in God's promise. Isn't that cool? So now it comes down to us. Here's what it says in Hebrews. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. That's kind of what Abraham was doing, wasn't he? And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles in the land. And that's what he did. He says, I am a stranger here. This isn't my land. For the people who spoke thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Hmm. So here's my question to us. What about us? What, what is our life connected to? It's an interesting question. When you think about your life and the decisions you make, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, what is your life connected to? What is it saying about your life by... All these resources and things that you do. What does it say about the places that you want to be? The places that you want your memories? What does it say about the things that immediately come to mind as those most important experiences in your life? What is our life connected to? I I think it's an important question. Second of all, what locations in your life do you tend to remember? Which ones are important to you? You know, my parents lost their mates in the 60s and the 70s. But out of love for their mates that have passed on every Memorial weekend, they go and place flowers on their graves. Those locations are important to them. I I spoke to a man a while ago. I was in a meeting for the Southern Baptist of all, and he said that he spent his summers in North Dakota doing trucking. And I said, oh, where did you live? He says, I lived in Washburn, North Dakota. I said, Washburn, North Dakota? That's amazing. I said, my family is from that area. What church do you go to when you're up there? Oh, I go to the First Baptist Church of Washburn. My great-great-grandparents founded that church. You see, there are certain locations that are important to me. Underwood, North Dakota, where my grandparents are from, is important to me. Minot, North Dakota, where I grew up, that's important to me. Winchester, Indiana, is important to me. These places, what are the locations that you like to Remember? But what promise needs an excessive investment in your life? Think about that for a minute. What, what promise needs a crazy investment? What thing, all of a sudden, without thinking, you'll, even though it might not be in the budget, you'll spend money on. It. What, what kind of thing do you dream about? What do you wish you could finance? Let's read one more verse in Hebrews. But as it is, their desire, they, de- they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You know, um, I believe that somehow if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this is your memory. This is this connection point. This is this point that forever changed your life. If you've asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, your moment of bending your knee at the cross of Jesus Christ is the most life changing thing in the world. There might even be some of you that today are not willing to do that because you don't want that kind of a life change. You, you kind of are satisfied with the way things are. I can remember a, a gang member in, in inner city talking to me and he went, um, I said, So what's keeping you from becoming a Christian? He goes, I like drugs and sex too much. He was honest, wasn't he? But there were reasons why he didn't want this thing to change him forever. And I'm, I'm pleading with you, if you've never become a Christian, that this should be your moment. I, I'm, I'm hoping that the cross will be a, a, a touch point, a, a changing moment for you, a, a new epicenter to the middle of your life. Because you need a Savior. You need to ask Jesus Christ to save you and change you forever. Because you can't bring about that change yourself. You can't forgive yourself for the wrong things that you do. You can't somehow chinny up to a relationship with God. You have to make that decision yourself. And you have to humble yourself. And you have to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. It's as simple as a prayer that says, Jesus Christ... Please forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I need a Savior. But for those of you who have already made this decision, I'm hoping that this cross is that thing that affects everything else that you do. I'm praying that the location of where you bent your knee to the Lord, that that makes a difference. But more than that, I am praying that you are excessively investing in something bigger than the here and now. That your investment is in the future. I loved what Carolyn said, because I knew where we were going with this message. When she says, thank you for your investment in me. Because of her There are two more clubs, but that's not just because of her. It's because of our investment along with her. And so I encourage each one of us to take a look at our time and our treasures and our talents and make sure that what we're doing matters beyond now. In the same way Abraham realized, I need to pick a place that represents eternity for my family not just convenience for this day. And I'm not willing for anybody to have any strings attached to it. So I'm excessively investing in the future of my family. I hope that each one of us is excessively investing in the kingdom of God. I appreciated what Charlie said and Carolyn, when we decided that we were going to be a part of your team, Charlie said this is an easy decision to make. This is a sure investment. Because we already knew you and we believed in who you were. And so on those hard days, when you feel like nothing's happening and you're just kind of being buffeted by the wind and nothing's going on and you're going, what am I doing I want you to know that there is a group of people in Lake Placid, Indiana, Lake Placid, New York that believe deeply, deeply in your ability to be an impact player in the kingdom. But I also want every one of you to know as a pastor of this church that I believe that you have an opportunity every one of you to have deep impact in the kingdom of God, something that is eternal and bigger than the here and now. That's why communion is appropriate today. Because communion helps us remember where we began that relationship with the Lord, right? And communion helps us remember the excessive cost of God for us. Think about that. He who did not spare His own Son. I I want you to remember that. And as you take your quiet time and prepare for communion that we will hand out in just a minute, I want you to ask the question, God, am I I living like I remember? Am I living like the location of the moment that I stepped... I accepted you as my Savior. Does it matter? And God, am I, I excessively investing in eternity? I want you to ask those questions as we take these elements together. Now, we practice open communion here. If you're a believer, we encourage you to participate with us. We're going to take a couple moments And the practice of this church is becoming this. We believe that God calls us to examine our lives. And so, in the quiet moments as the elements are passed out, I encourage every one of you to take that time to examine your life. And we also believe that it's important to wait on one another. Corinthians taught a lot about waiting. And so as your heart is free, I want you to look up at me and we we might actually take an extra minute or two because we're going to wait on each other to make sure that our hearts are free together. And I want you just to hold the elements because we want to partake of them together. Now for some of you, you might be in the process of living a life of recovery. I I, I just mentioned this because I think it's important for you to know. This is grape juice. We're not going to mess with your your recovery by making you do anything that you shouldn't do. But in these next couple moments, ask the questions. If we could put it back on that slide. These are the questions to ask. As you prepare your hearts for communion together. If I could have four people come and hand out the elements We will partake of communion together.